Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich Armis, episode 195. Hey, my riches, happy holidays. Especially for Christmas that we just celebrated, three entrepreneurial marketing miracles that can happen to you. For many years, I've been saying that marketing is magic. I also say that this magic has very clear rules. Once you follow them, the magic happens. Every one of the more than 180 successful entrepreneurs I interviewed for my podcast has had a moment or a time when the magic of marketing happened to them. Today, I want to share with you Three stories of entrepreneurial, quote, marketing miracles that show you how these miracles can happen to each of you. Elizabeth Shirley, The Magic of Finding the Right Customers for You How to find the right customers for you? This is one of the questions I've been asked the most. Many entrepreneurs who struggle to attract customers are not sure whether they are targeting the right audience. And they are right. Finding your customers is not about guesswork or addressing the customers whom your competition addresses. You need to find the customers who are currently looking to solve the problem your product or service solves. To find them, you need to look for them in the right way. Influencer, Elizabeth Charlie's company, focuses on two types of customers. The users who review products and the brands that are influencers' clients. In both areas, they managed to find the right customers for them. They conducted researches and focused on the precise target audience at the right time. Let's hear the story of Elizabeth Shirley. Elizabeth Shirley is the co-founder and president of Influencer, the product discovery and review platform that enables socially savvy consumers to find new products and get advice to make informed purchases. Elizabeth Shirley, such an honor to have you here with us. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Can you tell us a bit about the company, about the idea? How did you manage to bring it alive? Yeah, so we concepted the idea probably eight, nine years ago. And I was working at another startup for a long time, like over five years. And what I did was work for a fashion events company. And my role was to sell in brands to these events, both for sponsorship and also um, to get their products in the gift bags that we distributed. So I knew a lot about product sampling. I learned a tremendous amount in sales and just working at a startup that had like 10 people when I first arrived to having around 50, you know, mm-hmm. when I was thinking about the idea, um, I felt like I, I, I learned the ropes of the business in a way. Um, just, you know, being in a small environment where you 
have to learn and do everything. Um, And then I felt like I had learned all that I could there really after five years. And I was really itching to do something on my own. Um, And at the same time, I met my current business partner and he was working at a more traditional market research firm. And he found that a lot of the studies they were doing were really costly and took months and months and inefficient. So we were talking um, because I kept hearing from my clients who put products in the gift bag that they wanted more data on people. You know, besides knowing that they're women and they're going to a fashion event, do you have other demographic information on them? Do they buy the products afterwards? Like what's happening? Um, you know, why am I, why am I doing this? And yeah. so we thought we could really modernize market research. We thought let's create an online platform where we get a lot of data about people and we send them products that match their lifestyle. Um, you know, brands would reach people who actually make sense for the product. And then our members would give feedback to the brand. So we thought we would do this really quickly. We'd make it fun for people. Um, and so we just tested it out and we have a, had a response rate of over like 90% in the survey, which is crazy. Wow. Um, yeah, because normally it's like 10%. So what kind of survey did you do? Face to face or? Um, it was all online. So, oh, okay. I mean, we didn't have any money really. So mm-hmm. out of our own pocket, we built like a very simple, like three page website. Um, when I look at it now, it's really funny that anyone signed up for it because it looked pretty <laughs> amateur hour. Um, but yeah, people signed up and we made them answer a really long survey to even be a member. So again, surprising that they shared so much about themselves, but it was, it was long. It was probably almost a hundred questions about where do you shop for this? What brand do you use? Like, you know, what are your beauty routines? Um, so that was like the first phase. And then once we sent out a product, we just sent them another survey, um, digitally online. So my partner luckily knew how to analyze all the data. Um, so we shared that with the brands and, and they liked it. So that's really how Influencer was born. Wow. And who are your customers today? Please tell us the story about understanding who should you focus on. Is that the first customers from the beginning? Did you have to make any shift with the customers? Yeah. So when I think about Influencer, we're a little unique because I think we have two sets of customers. So we have our user base, our members, who actually are the people, you know, who sign up, they're writing the reviews, they're testing products. Um, so we call them influencers. And then have our other set of customers, which are our clients and our brands. So we really serve, you know, two audiences with everything that we're doing. And we're basically like the liaison between them. So, you know, in terms of, of knowing who yeah. the customers were from a brand perspective, um, you know, I, I had worked with consumer packaged goods companies like beauty, food, health prior. And that's really what this business was focused on when we built it was, hey, there's a need for, for these type of companies. So I'm going to build this service that I know that they want based on, you know, talking to them and my research. Um, so I don't think that has changed. That focus has always been there. Um, if anything, when we started, you know, it's really hard to get in the door of like a, a P&G or mm-hmm. a L'Oreal. So, you know, if anything, some of the companies we started on were a little bit smaller. Um But then, you know, when you think about our other customer base, like our actual influencer member, uh, we knew it was focused on people who like products, you know, are kind of the, the beauty junkie, likes to try everything new, wants to share an opinion, 
seven years ago, influencer marketing was really new, um, but we saw people posting on social without being asked. So once they had a product that we had sent out, they would brag about it on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube. So we just thought, hey, this should be a part of our offering. This is great. You know, it's a, it's a way for brands to get that buzz going. Um, so then looking at people's social media scores or how many friends and followers they have did become a part of our customer base for sure. Um, but I will say, you know, one thing we really wanted to focus on was like not paying people. So even from the beginning, it was all about like authenticity and, and that still holds true to today. So, you know, a little involvement there, but I think in the beginning, we had a good idea of who we were looking for. It sounds great because you started with the research. You started with looking who your customers are, which is quite rare in the world of startup marketing. I wanted to ask you, what is your best advice for their customer approach and focus? Because most of the startups that fail say that the number one reason was there was no market need. Yeah. So, I mean, from my perspective, I think that there's a few different um, perspectives I have. And the first one is like when I'm, I'm thinking about my customers as the clients and the brand. Um, the biggest thing that we did that helped us succeed by far was this give get approach. So I really found it difficult and heard a lot of no's at first from some of these larger beauty brands, um, to try our services because it was something new. We didn't have a lot of proven history. And like I said, um, the space was relatively new as well. So it was a new concept. They didn't have budgets for it. So I thought, I'm just going to give you the opportunity to try it for free with the understanding that you're going to let me present to you the results um, and go over like, you know, the benefits that you've had. And, and hopefully that would lead to a longer term relationship. So we had confidence in our product. We were really targeted with who we gave this free opportunity to. So companies with budgets and, and brands that made sense. So, you know, that really helped us a lot, like in establishing relationships with large corporations that have turned into really strong partners over the years. Um, and I would say my other mm -hmm. piece of advice is just listening. So you should listen, like we listen to our brands. A lot of services that we offer um, are based off of just hearing what brands are trying to achieve. It's not only me selling them something, it's really learning about their goals and then understanding if there's a way that I can build something into influencer that would help them achieve those. So, you know, we, we used to just send out products and then I learned, Oh, brands are trying to drive people to events or in store or, you know, do different activities online. So we created um, services around that. And then, you know, even listening to our members, um, we used to just have, product review pages yeah. for products that were featured in boxes, which was pretty limited. Um, and now after listening to them, they wanted to talk to each other mm -hmm. all the time, not just wait around for a box. So we created this huge database of products where people can come and talk about anything and share. And, you know, that's ended up being like a really strong area of our business. That's a huge opportunity for growth. Hmm, that's right. And What is your biggest success? Tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching your customers. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the biggest thing that made an impact in our business was 
really listening to brands early on. So we were, we're not funded um, at the beginning and everything was coming out of our pocket. So at first, you know, we created the service, we tested it, we knew brands liked it. But then when we tried to actually sell it, we saw that some brands still weren't biting and it really took a lot of, you know, research and questioning to find out why. And we figured that, you know, this was, this had to go big or go home. So we were doing like 200 boxes and we realized in order for like a PNG L'Oreal Unilever to buy into it, it had to be thousands of people, um, mm-hmm. which seemed really daunting at the time because again, we were funding it. And even if you sell in one product to a box, it's almost like an airline where, you know, it's taking off regardless. So we were thought we might be on the hook for like thousands and thousands of dollars and we're really stressed out. Um, but our decision to really, we called it the holiday box. And this was a program that went from like 250 people to 5,000. And wow. once it was 5,000, then all of a sudden we started getting email opens and responses and, you know, they wanted to participate. And, and I mean, that was that single decision. I think if we wouldn't have done it, um, influencer probably would have closed its doors because we just weren't making money because we weren't scaling enough. So, you know, that's something to think about too. Wow, it's a beautiful story. The next magic is the magic of Marcus Sheridan, the magic of attracting customers. There are many definitions of marketing. My definition is looking at things from the point of view of the customers because the money we are looking for is in their pockets. This is probably one of the most important rules of marketing in general and of entrepreneurial marketing in particular. So many entrepreneurs are sure that they know everything about their customers. When no one in the swimming pool industry published prices and facts about their pools, Marcus Sheridan found out that their customers had many questions that they wanted to ask before looking for which company they should buy from. By answering these questions and publishing them, Marcus attracted most of the customers to his company's site. I'm sure you're going to love Marcus's story. I'm very excited to introduce my guest today, Marcus Sheridan. Hey, Marcus. Hello, hello. Very nice to be here. I'm very excited. Hopefully I'll say something of value to your audience today. I'm sure you will. I'm so happy to have you with us today. Called a web marketing guru by the New York Times, the story of how Marcus Sheridan was able to save his swimming pool company, Riverpools, from the economic crash of 2008 has been featured in multiple books, publications, and stories around the world, and is also the inspiration for his newest book, They Ask, You Answer, which was dubbed the number one marketing book to read in 2017 by Mashable. Today, Sheridan has become a highly sought-after global speaker and consultant in the digital sales and marketing space working with hundreds of business and brands alike to become the most trusted voice of their industry while navigating the ultra-fast rate of change occurring within consumers and buyers today. Marcus, I just reviewed what you've done until now. Hmm. Please share with us what are you doing today and what are you most passionate about 
And where are you hiding? Nobody ever grows up and says they want to be a pool guy, right? And so, <laughs> no. so I was a I was a pool guy for what was about ten years of my life. But I had to do that, and I had to go through that economic collapse in order to get on the next path, right? And the next path was teaching what has become known by many as, as content marketing. But to me, really, I think it's a it's a much deeper conversation than calling it marketing because if you take away the fancy phrases like digital or sales or marketing or social, all we're really talking about is teaching and trust. And so I'm trying to help companies and organizations see the world differently and see themselves as teachers and do whatever it takes so that they can build that trust. And so that's the path that I'm on, and it's a fun path. It takes me around the world, or it allows me to talk to to good people like you, how you <laughs> thanks. So it's it's been a it's really been a great ride. So that's that's what I think about most days. And where are you heading? What is going to be the next step? You know, I think my next thing is I think I had to do this in order to get to the point where where I want to be is I want to get to a point where I'm talking about the intersection between personal and professional. That's where I want to be. I think there's so many principles of success that are prevalent in our business lives, but they impact us just as much in our personal lives. And so I'd like to get to a point where I'm speaking to even more audiences, even bigger audiences, about how they can reach that full fulfillment in their life personally and professionally. I totally agree. I believe that today we must combine this together. Otherwise, we won't live our lives. Yeah. It is. It comes together. Can you describe in a few words how your company started? Either you can choose the swimming pool company or the <laughs> sales line. And what was the story of that? Well, so, you know, I'll do both really quick. With River Pools, I was just out of university and um, was looking for a job, and I thought I was going to get into teaching. My two friends had started a swimming pool company. This was in the year 2000. And they needed somebody to run the retail store. And they asked me to do that. And I said, yeah, I'll do that until I find my next job. Well, about six months into it, they said, why don't you become our third partner? And so I became the third partner. And that's how I became a pool guy. It sounds great being a pool guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. You know, sometimes it's funny how you, people say to me, like, do you ever get tired of telling the pool guy story? And I must tell you, I heard it around four or five times, and I never get tired of hearing <laughs> that again. Well, well, for me, it's like it's who I am, you know. It's a foundation of the story, and although I'm not, quote, a pool guy anymore, if somebody says, hey, it's the pool guy, it doesn't bother me because it is who I am, and it's a story that people can put their arms around, and they say, ah, so that's that's what can happen with all this digital stuff that I've been hearing about. That's how it can relate to me and my business. So yeah, I, you know, and, and of course today it's the most trafficked swimming pool website in the world. It's amazing, right? It's crazy. It is. It's crazy. And, and I just, you know, we went from being a struggling retailer to now we install pools throughout Virginia, Maryland. We are manufacturing fiberglass pools throughout the United States. We've got dealers popping up everywhere. 
We're off to the races, and it's only getting better, but it's all because we said we're going to be the best teachers in the world when it comes to fiberglass pools. That's the thing that did it. And the sales line. Hmm. The sales line's funny. You know, I started with what, of course, I call They Ask You Answer with Riverpools in 2009 to save the business, and within about seven or eight months, I said to myself, man, this stuff works. <laughs> I need it. I need to tell everybody about this. So I started a personal website where I was just going to write my thoughts on sales and business, and I called it the Sales Lion because I like lions. I think they're awesome. Duh. Yeah, they are, and it sounded better than the marketing lion. So, so I went with the Sales Lion, and I, you know, I tell you what, for the first year, I don't really think anybody listened. Didn't get much traction, but then all of a sudden. People started to read it, and I started to get invited to events and to conferences. And when I got invited to one, then I got invited to two, and then it was four, and then it was eight. It just snowballed. And today, um, I've got a consultancy where we help businesses, um, small to medium-sized businesses, to, like you said, to embrace what you and I might call content marketing, but to really become leaders in their space, to become the most trusted voice, to embrace what's happening with today's buyer, to embrace you know textual and video content, and to go all in with it. It's been really cool too because, you know, for a while the only cool case studies was Riverpools, but now I've created a ton of other case studies of people doing the Ask You Answer. I wonder what is your biggest success with customers. What was one of the wins that you had uh, on the way? Well, well, the easy one there is being willing to embrace that philosophy of they ask you answer and say, any question that I've ever been asked by a pool shopper, I'm going to answer it on my website through text and video. And just to give you a simple idea, and this story is in the book, One of the main questions I used to get asked all the time was, Marcus, how much does a fiberglass pool cost? You know, when I did this in 2009, no pool guys wanted to address on their website the subject of cost. They just talked around it. Most businesses are not doing this until today. They are not talking about cost. That, oh, it's a huge problem, huge, huge, huge issue. And so I said, well, buyers want to know, so I'm going to talk about it. And I talked about it a lot. Well, to make a long story short, that one article, You know, because we have advanced analytics and we can do tracking, we know the total number of leads, the number of sales, and the actual revenue dollar that that one article on my website has created for the company. And it took me 45 minutes to write at my kitchen table, and it's generated three and a half million dollars in sales. Wow. Wow. And this is, was one of the first one. articles? One of the first you... ones. Wow. Yeah, because when I did when I said we're going to do they ask you answer, it was, <laughs> it was like, well, this is the first question everybody wants to know. So Marcus, come on, give me a feel for these things. What are we looking at here? What might this cost? And so I said, okay, fine, we're going to do it. I didn't think twice about it. And oh my goodness, that was a home run. So it feels so great because I remember your story about how difficult things became and I know from sometimes from my companies and from other startups that I work with 
Sometimes we are really scratching in order to try and find the next customer and from customer to customer. And suddenly you felt exactly the opposite. <laughs> suddenly they came to you. That's a beautiful thing, right? And that's the essence of what inbound marketing is. And, you know, sometimes people say, how would you define inbound? But to me, inbound marketing is like that young teenage boy at a dance where you're at the dance and you basically see two types of, we'll call them guys here. The first guy is tapping every girl on the shoulder trying to get a dance. And most of them are kind of running in the other direction, right? So he's, he's depressed and he can't get a dance. Sure. The second guy is the guy who's got all the people around him. And everybody wants to dance with him. And he can pretty much pick and choose who is he going to dance with. And if you pick and choose who you dance with, there's a good chance that you're going to have a much better time at the dance. And so really that's inbound. We have a choice. We can be tapping everyone on the shoulder, begging for their business. Or we can have so much value to the marketplace because we're such great teachers that they come to us and they say, hey, can we dance? And now we have the choice. Wow. Michael Numero, The Magic of Focus Those who read my blogs or listen to my podcast know that I think focusing is the most important rule of marketing. When you are willing to focus, magic happens. The rule of focus is challenging. I always say that it comes together with the rule of giving up or sacrifice. When you focus on one thing, you must give up many other things. Michael and his company, the Rush Order Tees, are focusing on a very narrow line of products, and that is what has led them to such massive success. Let's listen to this very unique story of Michael Nomura. Michael Nomura is the CEO and co-founder of Rush Order Tees, a fast-growing e-commerce custom t-shirt printing and apparel company. Founded in 2002, when Michael was only 17, with his brother and sister, Rush Order Tees specializes in screen printing and embroidering services from everyone, from teams to small businesses to Fortune 500 companies. Over the past 18 years, the company has focused on the customer experience by streamlining the entire process with its innovative design studio, incredible service, and the quickest deliveries in the industry. Michael Namura, hi! What a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me, Hayud. It's so great that you are here. I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now, and I would like to ask you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today, and where are you heading? Uh, sure. So, you know, being in this pandemic is probably what I'm most passionate about, getting the business uh, back in shape from, you know, the huge decline we saw at the beginning of this. Uh, you know, essentially when the NBA shut down, we lost 80% of revenue. Oh. Yeah. So that, that was that was a big hit. And that was probably, you know, one of the scariest points um, we've ever had in the business's lifespan of, of 18 years. So, but we've come back uh, steadily and, pr- and pretty quickly all things considered and it's you know getting getting people back into the company because we had to reduce headcount from probably 280 to about 100 people oh 
um, at the time, but now we're, we're, we're back up to 260, um, wow. people. Yeah. So we've been lucky because, um, we're an e-commerce business. There's a lot of shopping online and a lot of current events as well. And you know, there's a lot going on in the world. So people are ordering custom t-shirts for, you know, a variety of, you know, current event driven reasons and just personal and business reasons. So, um, we're back up and running, you know, we're every, we've taken every safety, you know, precaution necessary in the facility and everyone's pretty happy to be back as well. So that's, that's what I've been focused on most recently, I guess, over the past six to nine months. And where are you heading? Where do you want to go? Well, where we want to go is we just want to be, you know, the most trusted place where you can get custom t-shirts and custom printed apparel. And I think that, you know, we've made huge improvements over the past nine months to not only shore up the, the company for a full facility shutdown like we experienced during the pandemic, but um, to, you know, we're now going to be able to deliver even faster than we were just because we've actually had a lot of time to spend on the technology and, you know, increasing the capacity of the, you know, the production facility. So right now we're, we're basically just trying to do blocking and tackling better. So you used these last months to improve? Yeah, it's, it's focused us quite a bit on the important, but really just refining our printing and delivery and quality has been really the focus during this time. So tell us, what is the business and how did it start and how did your career start? Tell me a bit about that. Sure. So this is probably my third of maybe third business that I started. And I actually, you know, the business started out of, at least my business career started out of necessity when I was really young because my parents had, you know, a successful business at one time. They were clothing designers and that's actually, you know, how they met. My dad was a clothing designer and, you know, my mom was his agent, which means she oversaw the production of the, you know, the product that he would make. So it was once successful. And then over the course of time, they bought out their business partner, started getting into new business lines, and then it started struggling financially because they made some decisions that, you know, caused them to have financial uncertainty. And at the age of probably nine, my mom sat me down and said that, <laughs> you know, we're, the business isn't doing well. And we don't know if you're going to be going to the same school anymore. And wow. the house that we live in is, you know, we're not sure if we're going to live here anymore. So, you know, at that, <laughs> when that happens, you know, yeah. imagine, yeah, that's really tough. So, that was that that really made me pretty aware of what was going on i would you know I, I started just questioning a lot of things and mainly you know how do I make money or how is my family going to be able to get us out of this and you know really looking to my parents, but they just continued to struggle for probably the next decade and in the mm -hmm. meantime, you know my brother started selling stuff online and on eBay and he was doing anything he could and he was helping in the warehouse uh pick and pack orders. I would go in and I would cut down cardboard boxes and help clean up the warehouse. But what I noticed was, like, it was kind of, we were just kind of, like, working. I, I, I knew we weren't going to get anywhere in this business that it was just so big. And the, I can see that even the employees weren't, weren't even, they weren't managed well. And my dad wasn't a manager. He's more of a designer and sales guy. And my mom is just more of a doer. So the business just kind of tried to manage itself. But that's not how that business works. No. Um, so. Um, we continue to like work and try to help them. And then when 13, when I'm 13, my brother comes home with homework and it's to, to, to basically retype something. And I, I retype it for him because he didn't want to do it. 
and I asked him what it was, and he said, "Oh, you just type, you just type HTML, which is for a website. Hmm. So just save it as .html, and then you'll see what you just did." And I do that, and as soon as I do that, I was like, "This is this is awesome! Like, I just made a website. I'm 13, and I can put anything wow. out that I want into the world." And you know, to me, that was amazing that mm-hmm. I could do that. And I was, and I'd already been like a computer geek. I'd always been playing computer games. So like I, it was natural for me to just be on the computer. So everything I did then just started was a website. My homework was a website. Like I wouldn't do it in Word. I would do it on a website. <laughs> yeah. So and it got to the point that so so that was like the skill set that I had started developing that eventually turned into me learning how to communicate with webmasters online, trade traffic, and then to start getting to affiliate marketing. Mm-hmm. And in doing affiliate marketing. That was kind of what I saw as our way out because within probably two, three months, I was able to make enough money to pay for the mortgage for the house. Wow. And the number that my mom would always tell me that they needed was $5,000. So after like, yeah, probably after a few months, I said, I gave my mom a check for $5,000. And as soon as I gave her that check, she, well, A, she didn't understand. And B, she started crying. So when she started crying, I was like, wow, this is like really important. And it really means a lot to my mom. So I just kept doing that and learning more and more and more until, you know, I, I kept making 5000 Eventually, I was making 15000 a month. But um, I told my mom at one point, I'm like, I'm not going to, we're not going to pay for the mortgage anymore. We're going to let this house get foreclosed on and we're going to save the money because this is eventually going to go anyway and we don't need this big of a house to live anyway so so that's kind of how I got started it was really just like the combination of being on the computer being a fast typer getting lucky that my brother took the first design course and didn't want to do his homework and gave it to me and then I turned it into affiliate marketing and you know I had a need to, to make money because that that's what we needed to survive so that that's where it all started and then well, it turned into yeah so hmm. And then it turned into my dad was kind of done, uh, you know, shutting down his business with my mom. And then he wasn't really doing it. He was actually, you know, it's, it's pretty upsetting after you've had two decades of, you know, business that you grew that eventually ends up bankrupt. So for him, that was like a big hit. And I guess he was kind of depressed. And then his friend said to him, hey, Alan, that's my dad's name. You're great at sales. I have a business that, you know, I, I, I do $400,000 in revenue a year. You're a great sales guy. Come on the road with me, door to door. We'll sell to pizza shops and restaurants. I'll show you exactly how it works, where to get the shirts, where to get them printed, and you can be making money this week. And my dad initially just wasn't in the mindset to do it, and then my brother pushed him to do it, and he actually got in the car with them. And then in the first like two days, they sold three different places. I think it was like a car wash and two restaurants, making like fifteen hundred dollars. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. And I was seven, at this time I'm like 16 or 17. And what I was doing was kind of drying up and they were just getting this new thing started. And I was like, that, that's pretty cool. You made, you made money very, very quickly. So that, that's, it was a combination of all those things coming together. And how did uh, this uh, current business started? So that's the t-shirt business, which is today it's Rush Order Tees. So I took what they were doing door to door and I said let me take it online and being that I was basically good at conversion rate optimization I launched a website I launched a marketing campaign on yellowpages.com 
Hmm. And I risked, I forget, I think it was like $3,000. And I was like, all right, let's just risk it, see what happens. And the website just said, rush order tees, need t-shirts quick, and there's a blinking phone number. And the problem was, is that we started getting phone calls, but I was very, very introverted. Like, I, I never talked to anybody who mm. I didn't know on the phone. <laughs> so mm-hmm. as soon as that phone started to ring, like, I was so nervous getting those calls. I would actually take the calls outside in the backyard or in a room by myself. But, you know, eventually I got over that. But that that was the entry into taking custom T-shirts online because it was, it was usually a localized business where you would go to a T-shirt shop and you would, you would meet with the guy and he would tell you when you get them and you'd work out the design with him. So going online was very different. So for it to, to start working almost immediately in terms of getting sales was, you know, it was great to see. Mm, and where is it today? Is it all the same? I mean, it's not, it's not the same at all. Um, just that, you know, when we started, it was me, my younger sister, and my older brother, and my parents. And today it's really uh, me operating the business and what was once in our house and our garage that we were getting foreclosed on and we were printing in a small room which was probably not legal at the time because we had heaters and stuff and chemicals. And a five-person business is now, you know, almost a 300-person business operating out of Northeast Philadelphia. We're probably one of the biggest production facilities in the country. And the, the hard thing about our business is everything was custom. Even every solution was custom. Like, we had to build software from the ground up, the design studio that everyone, that, you know, the majority of our customers design on, where you can design, upload your logo, add text, and... You know, there's even, you know, a Hebrew option on there just Mm -hmm. to type in Hebrew. (laughs) So all that had to be developed and thought of by us. That was all our brainchild in terms of, you know, figuring out the way to get there. So it's it's a much bigger business. And, you know, we focus on delivery and quality first and foremost. So it's very different. Do you like it? (laughs) Do I like it? I love it. I love it. I love where we came from. Yeah. That's great. I love that. <laughs> and now I want you to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching your customers. So what we did right was, like, we do one thing, which is custom T-shirts and apparel quickly. <laughs> so, mm. like, our concept is fairly simple. We didn't really innovate in terms of the industry itself, like making something new, but we, we brought something to the industry that it didn't have because, so we just deliver when you need it. So if you called me today, Hayud, and said, hey, I need, sh- I need 300 shirts tomorrow. Like right now it's 5, 11 p.m. East Coast time. I can mm-hmm. definitely get 300 shirts done by 8 p.m. when UPS comes tonight because we have capacity to do that because that, that's how the business was designed. Not, not even initially, it was just... It was ultimately designed to allow for, you know, people who need something to get it when they need it. Um, so, so that's what we did well. Um, and we made it simple to understand that that's what we do. Wow. And do you have a specific story or it's yeah. a good story, but do you have any specific story? Uh, that relates to that? Well, the, <laughs> so we sponsor the 76ers. So, and the 76ers do these things called like where they'll, where they'll dress the whole stage, every single seat in like blue with, yeah. with a blue t-shirt. And they'll call us and the, the, the stadium has like 26,000 shirts. So, um, mm-hmm. one time they called us and I think the game was like on a Wednesday and they wanted 26,000 shirts printed front and back 
uh, by Wednesday, and they called us on the Monday. Sorry, they called us on Monday. So what that requires is is an like it was unbelievable. I mean, we were running. We ran 24 hours with I think six machines, and like eventually we got it done. But that is a huge order, and it just but that that's that's what the business was built on. Like it is just just delivering when someone needs it, even when we kind of don't even want to. Like I definitely didn't want to do that order, but they <laughs> needed it. <laughs> but but that that's we we say yes, we say yes to almost everything. Just and you know the team always you know will always figure it out. Good for you. Thank you. Company. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And uh, there are many factors that affect one's success. However, I do believe that for each of us, there is one factor that really made it for them, that really helps us succeed. And I want to ask you, what is your one key success factor? So I, I've known this for a while because my biggest like key factor to success is also my biggest weakness <laughs> because yeah, it, it's um like so my ability to focus on a problem and try to solve it is my is my biggest actually my strongest attribute uh especially like in the situation when i was young where you know my family has so much financial uncertainty we don't know where we're gonna live i'm like i want to see those friends again so it's like that's a big driver to keep you focused and i think it just trained train that into me through you know through my career because because i'll work on it all day all night i'll dream about it and that that's how myopic i can get on solving you know or like focusing on something but and the other side of that is that like because i'm focusing on that like i won't text my friends back i won't pick up phone calls <laughs> like uh, <laughs> you know my social life will go out the window during that time and and you know in my career that time frame has been like five years Where I'll, where I'll do that straight and then I'll, I'll hit my friends up five years later I'll be like yeah I was, I was working on the business sorry <laughs> so um, that's a problem I just forgot to, to call you for five years yeah like, hey here I am here I, I'm back I'm sorry many entrepreneurs think that marketing is all about paid content SEO automation and social media the truth however is That marketing starts with making the right choices and creating the right strategy. Nothing will work for you if you choose the wrong customers or don't focus. Choosing the right customers, attracting customers to you, and being able to focus are three key strategic moves that will create miracles in your business. I hope you liked this show. And until next week, bye! And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.